Let's pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, preachers and churches all across the nation during the month of November somehow managed to sneak in a few sermons about money. It's stewardship season in most churches at the end of October, the beginning of November, when churches begin to look ahead to next year and what we need in terms of this year to finish the year strong and next year for next year's budget. And so even when the texts aren't focused on money, somehow us preachers sneak it in. But if that makes you nervous, don't worry. I don't like to preach about it either. I prefer something less controversial like sin or politics. But I can't avoid talking about money because Jesus talks about money so often in the Bible. And just in case you feel a little bit pointed out or convicted this morning, just remember the passage begins with Jesus taking a swipe at folks who wear long robes for a living. Most of my robes are short. Thank you very much. But the widow's might that we read this morning is a popular stewardship text for a lot of reasons. First off, it makes some really great points. First, the scribes are condemned for their hypocrisy while giving large sums of money. The poor widow is commended because even though she gives a little, it's all that she has. And so her sacrifice is great. The scribes give out of their abundance in order to be seen. The widow gives humbly out of her poverty. Therefore, the preacher says, no matter how much you give or how little you give, what counts is on the inside. Now make sure you fill that pledge card out. So that's how the sermon typically goes. Which is not untrue by any means, but I think when we rush through so fast, we miss a few important things Jesus is pointing out. First, the scribes. Now, uh, oftentimes the scribes get lumped in with Pharisees and Sadducees and chief priests and all the others, and they don't get their fair due. The scribes were very important people in the first century of Israel. They are scholars of Torah and of the law. They are specialists in interpretation. They have gone to school for this. They've got the degrees, the training, not just in religion, but in all legal affairs. They were the lawyers, those who helped to write contracts and settle legal disputes. And because of this, they were looked up to and respected and valued. Yeah, they, they were wealthy, but you needed to pay them for the good work they did. Everyone respected the scribes. Everyone except Jesus. Jesus critiques the scribes for a couple of reasons. He kind of makes fun of their long robes, but truth be told, he points them out not because they're wearing long robes, but because they enjoy getting seen wearing these long, amazing robes. He says that they expect to be greeted in the marketplace with terms of respect and admiration. 
he wants, he, point, he wants to point out that they expect community recognition for what they do. He points out that they always want the best seats in the synagogue, which in the first century meant the front row, which I noticed is empty in our church. But the reason they wanted the front row was because if there was a question of interpretation, you looked to the first row, the front that was called the seat of Moses, where the wisest, most learned, respected men sat. And if you had a question of interpretation, they would stand and tell you what the Bible said. They wanted theological recognition in addition to their community admiration. And when you threw parties, they showed up to your parties, Jesus says, and they expected to have the seat of honor next to the host. They wanted not only community recognition and theological recognition, they wanted social standing as well. Not only that, they loved to pray long prayers. Long prayers. Long prayers. Because they wanted to be recognized as spiritual and holy and right. Now all of that's well and good. Except for the fact that Jesus lets us in on a little secret. Remember how I told you they're financial experts? Lawyers and contractors. Now, uh, many of my best friends are lawyers. I don't mean this by any sense. This is just the scribes in the first century Jerusalem. Jesus seems to let the cat out of the bag when he says, those contracts they've been writing for those dear widows, it seems they've been skimming off the top and off the middle and off the bottom. Jesus says, they do all these things, community recognition, theological recognition, they pray long prayers, they say the right things, they go to church, they go to the parties, they are pillars of the community, and all the while, they are stealing every single nickel and dime and penny from our widows. How do you think they got so rich, Jesus seems to say. Well, I'm glad I'm not a guy that walks around in long robes and takes an offering up for a living. Then Jesus sits down across the courtyard from the temple treasury and just watches. Now, the temple treasury was a particular item, a particular box that you would give to, and it was for the upkeep of the temple it would help to pay the salaries of the temple staff and to, to pay the, the utilities, you know, whatever the equivalent utilities are in first century Jerusalem. It was the general operating budget of, of the temple. And here's the thing, and, and y'all, I know you get nervous. I'm not instituting this, okay, but this is just how it worked in the first century. When you walked up to the temple treasury and put in your offering, the high priest would announce the amount. Ushers, don't do this. The priest would say, ah, 400 drachma. Ah, two pennies. 
And Jesus is noticing how big a show people are making when they come up to make their big offering in their long robes to make sure everyone hears that the priest announces how much they gave. And then when a poor widow comes and places two small coins, Jesus points to her and says, Look, look at her. Notice her. He condemns the wealthy for their ostentatious show and pride, and he commends the widow for her humble gift. Now, hear me when I say this. It's dangerous to then say, well, what you need to do, like the widow, is to give all you have. Just as it's dangerous to say, well, if you're a wealthy person, just hide what you're giving and you're fine. I think Jesus is teaching something different than this. The word that's used here in the widow's story is that she makes a sacrifice. And I know I teach you a lot about Greek, and I feel bad we don't ever talk about Latin together, but sacrifice is a Latin word. It's a word that says sacra feci, to make holy. When you sacrifice something, you're making it holy. It seems that what Jesus is pointing out to his disciples this day is, you know, these people are giving a lot of money, and and you know what, that's good for them. But the way they're giving it, and the reasons they're giving it, to show themselves wealthy, to show themselves importance, to show their self-congratulatory behavior, they're giving money to the temple, yes, but in no way is it holy. In no way is it a sacrifice. Instead, he points to the widow and says, look at how she gives. Look at how much she gives, how much of a sacrifice it is. She has given all that she has because it is a holy offering. She holds nothing back even though she knows it is a foolish thing to do to give your last penny to the temple. She gives everything in response to a God she believed had given her everything. Now what's interesting here is that In the Gospel of Mark, this is the last story that Mark tells as part of his public ministry narrative for Jesus. In the very next verse, Mark begins the passion narrative. And everything else from this point forward to the end of the 16th chapter has to deal with the suffering, betrayal, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And Mark chooses to tell this story 
last. In this scene, Jesus, the son of a widow, points to another widow and says she has given her whole self to God. He then gets up and begins a walk to Calvary where he too will give his whole self. I think this is about money, but I think it's about so much more than just the coins in our pocket. It's about understanding what is truly important in life and what is truly asked of each of us. And it's also a reflection on the answer to why do we give anything to this church? Now, I'm not naive, and I'm also too practical to say, so just give whatever you want and we'll be fine. Next week, we'll begin to ask you to make some commitments to next year's budget. And over the next few weeks, I'll be reminding us over and over of how much more we have to go for this year's budget. And so I'm going to talk about money, and we're going to think about money. But I hope that you also give thought to yourself. Why do you give? Why do you sacrifice? Why do you make an offering? Now for me, I'm a bit of a mixed bag. Because I like to give because I like to feel important. I like to feel needed. I like to feel that I'm giving to a good cause. I like to feel good. And I imagine some of the wealthy and scribes had good intentions for their gifts. But I also know that I never give all that I have like the widow. And so I have to ask myself, why? And one of the ways that I reconcile that in my own life is to understand that I could never give all that I owe and all that is due in response to the great gifts that I've been given. But what I can do, what I should do, is offer my whole self whether in money, in prayer, in presence. I should offer all that I have to God for God to use. And one of the things that I am most honored to serve here at St. Luke's is that this church, in so many ways, not always perfect, but I think always striving toward perfection, seeks to use the gifts that you give not for ourselves but for others.
giving away boxes, giving away food, giving away clothes, giving away the money from those clothes. My hope and prayer is that what we simply do here is to make an offering of ourselves, the best and all that we are, and not just money, but our whole self. So I want to invite you to reflect on what do you have? What has God blessed you with? And over these next weeks, as we end one year and begin another, may all of us return to God. Not just a portion, but our whole self. In whatever way God calls each of us, place that onto the altar that God might use so that we, like the poor widow, might hear the words of Jesus. They gave all that they had. Let us pray. Eternal God, we are blessed beyond measure. In ways that we cannot even fathom, you have given us all of yourself. And so help us over these weeks and months ahead to respond, to give, to share, to offer ourselves as holy offerings in service to your Son. Whether it's what we give, what we donate, what we share, how we speak to one another, and how we pray and serve your world. Help us to offer our whole lives as a holy offering. In union with the offering that you gave. In the life, death, and resurrection of your Son, Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.